Good morning and welcome to the Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. My name is Patrick Connors and you can hear this show every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern, locally on 89.1 FM or anywhere at wxvu.weebly.com or on the TuneIn app by searching WXVU. If you cannot catch the show live, we are now officially on podcast as well. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and more. Just search The Morning Report, Patrick Connors, on those sites, and it'll bring you straight to the show. You can catch up on all past episodes from this year, as well as this show, too. And if you are looking for any information on the show, that can be found on Twitter at PatrickWXVU. That is, again, where all show information goes. It is just towards the top of the hour, which means it is time for your WXVU sports headlines. We'll start last night in Major League Baseball. We had the Mets with an 8-4 win over the Nationals. The Yankees defended Yankee Stadium with a 4-1 win against the Rangers. It was the Reds 8 and the Phillies 5. The Pirates topped the Marlins 6-5. It was the Indians getting a big win over the White Sox 8-6. The Red Sox topped the Twins 6-2. The Giants 9 and the Cardinals 8. The Royals beat the Tigers 5-4. The Diamondbacks over the Padres 4-1. It was the Athletics again with a big win, shutting out the Angels 4-0. And the Dodgers had a 7-3 win over the Rockies. In NFL news, today is opening day, Thursday night football. It is the Packers at Soldier Field to take on the Bears that game again at 8.20 tonight. We'll get into all the NFL news and everything you need to know coming up in just a couple seconds. Also yesterday, Ezekiel Elliott signed a six-year, $90 million extension, making him the highest paid running back in NFL history. All right, speaking of that, that is where we're going to start. Ezekiel Elliott signing his six-year, $90 million extension yesterday. $50 million of that is guaranteed. That is the most guaranteed money a running back has ever gotten, topping Todd Gurley's $45 million. Elliott had two more years left on his deal. Uh, he was scheduled to make about $3.8 million this year and nine, about just over $9 million as a fifth-year option in 2020, putting him under contract now through 2026. And that is the longest contract in the NFL. He also will be making more than $100 million on this contract. Again, the tops in NFL history. It'll be interesting for Ezekiel Elliott as he comes back. He claims to be ready. Um, It looks like he'll get 20, 25 touches on Sunday as he has been in Cabo the whole summer. Um, He has been training. He is supposedly in good shape. But, you know... You don't know. He hasn't played NFL players. He has not been training in that way. Um, you know, Jason Garrett's message to him was just to get back to work. It's going to take a little bit more than that. He will probably be rusty. And, you know, maybe he'll make some mistakes that, he uncharacter- that are uncharacteristic of his game. And that could be a big hit to the ego for him. But that's what happens when you miss the entire all of training camp and all of the preseason. But he also did not miss any meaningful game checks and still scored the highest uh, running back salary ever in the NFL. It seems like Jerry Jones kind of got played here. He did not really play hardball like he's playing with Dak Prescott. Um, You know, Prescott obviously does not have the talent of Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott has led the NFL in rushing two of his first three seasons. Um, he had 1,600 yards as a rookie, but he's also had suspension problems, and just he's a running back. They can get injured so easily, and one play they could be done. It's hard. I find I have a hard time believing he'll be playing at this level in eight years, but he probably won't even be on the team. These deals rarely make it to the end. It, it's most likely he'll be cut. But again, since entering the league in 2016. He's rushed 4,048 yards. The second place running back in that time is Todd Gurley of the LA Rams. He's at just 34, just 34 41. 
So Zeke has, again, about 500, five to 600 more yards in just three seasons than Gurley does that. Warrant him being the highest paid? Probably. But now that he's on the books for another eight years, that's where this is really going to hurt the Cowboys. You still have some big free agents to sign, including Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper. They're both unrestricted free agents when the season ends. Uh, Prescott's on the books to make just over $2 million this year. Cooper just under 14 on their fifth-year options. Dak Prescott is a very interesting uh, case, as we've seen the quarterback from his class, who were admittedly drafted higher. Jared Goff drafted number one overall. Carson Wentz drafted number two overall. Lock up big extensions before this year. Now, Prescott was drafted in the fourth round, but he has put up very good numbers. Um, and with... Goff breaking the bank on Wednesday with his four-year, $134 million extension with 110 guaranteed. Prescott will probably turn up the heat on the Cowboys and be like, look, other guys in my class are getting paid. You're paying the running back before the quarterback. Um, what's going on here? Again, we'll get into Goff. He uh, was under contract for two more years, $4.3 million this year. In the fourth year, he was a rookie deal in 22.8 in 2020 on his fifth-year option. So now he'll be on a contract for the next six years after that four million before year extension kicks in. That topped the extension that Carson Wentz recently signed. He signed a four-year $128 million extension with $109.9 million guaranteed. Um, so again, the number one overall pick just gets slightly more. That was definitely a negotiating tactic by Goff, but again, Goff had made big strides these last two years under Sean McVay. He did not have a good rookie year under Jeff Fisher. He did not win a uh, start in his seven attempts. In the two years under Sean McVay, he's passed for almost 8,500 yards with 60 touchdowns and 19 picks, back-to-back -back divisions, and the first Super Bowl appearance in 18 years last year. The issue is he did nothing in that Super Bowl, but he had some big games last year. Uh, the week four win over the Vikings with the perfect passer rating when he threw for 465 yards and five touchdowns comes to mind. As does the week 11 game on Monday Night Football against the Chiefs, 413 yards, four touchdowns in the 54-51 win. He, again, I said was a no-show in the Super Bowl, just 19 of 38 for 229 yards and a pick, sacked four times. Um, it'll be interesting whether he can come back and prove that he is a true big-time quarterback because he's certainly paid like one now. He needs to go out and show everyone that he can handle the spotlight here and that... As a guy who's paid like that, he needs to step up in big moments. He had that big comeback against the Saints in the NFC Championship. You can say what you want about whether he was helped by the refs. Either way, he got his team in a position and won the game. So I'll give him credit where credit's due there, but he's not a big-time quarterback, at least not yet, in the fact that when the stage gets the biggest, he, he shrinks away. Uh, just look at Super Bowl 53 again. He was nowhere to be found. One thing I will give him, though, is unlike Carson Wentz of the Eagles, he stays on the field. Um, he doesn't get hurt. Seems like a much tougher guy than Wentz, who I question his toughness and whether he'll be around in a couple of years just because he seem, can't seem to take the heat of the NFL. That's not something you worry about with Jared Goff. But still, the fact that he has yet to really show up in his... Uh, one attempt on the big stage, the fact that it was a complete no-show is certainly a little frightening if you are a Los Angeles Rams fan who just had their team give this guy $110 million in guarantees, $134 million total. All right, moving on, there was a huge deal this week. That was Jadavion Clowney traded from the Houston Texans to Seattle Seahawks. He was holding out with the Texans. He was franchised but would not sign his tender. Um, 
this is a big move for the Seahawks. Their defensive line was definitely in shambles a little bit. They they lost Frank Clark. Jaron uh, Reed was suspended for the first six games. We have no idea when Ezekiel Ansaw is going to be ready to play. But now Clowney brings that number one overall pick credential back to the Seahawks defense as they try to win the identity that they had five, six years ago. Um, it was evident that now there's a lot more buzz around the Seahawks team. Again, they made the big move. Um, it looks like Ansaw is going to play against the Bengals on Sunday. He's coming off shoulder surgery. If you can have both of those on opposite edges, as Pete Carroll said, it's similar to the Chris Clemens, Michael Bennett, and Cliff Averill era um, in 2013 and 2014. It also um, gives them a lot more depth. They have Puna Ford and Al Wood starting at the tackle. And then um, they still have Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, a linebacker with Michael Kendricks as well. That is a very good front seven. Again, they'll play the 4-3 with those two guys on the edge playing the 4-3. That's a lot for any offensive line. Most teams will probably have to bring in a tight end on them just to, you know, get a six on four. Because you, in theory, want to double-team Clowney on the left edge and Ansaw on the right edge. Um, especially, I think Clowney is big because the Legion of Boom is totally gone. Sherman's gone. Earl Thomas is gone. Cam Chancellor's gone. Um, even Brendan Browner was kind of a part of that. They are all gone. He will be the next big guy on the Seahawks defense. Um, It'll be interesting, though, when he is ready to play. He hasn't practiced or played all offseason until Monday. He's uh, got an NIR distinction right now as the Seahawks are working him very slowly. Again, he has been an injury concern in the past, but we'll see what kind of shape he's in right now. Um, Russell Wilson. Excuse me, Bobby Wagner had an interesting quote asking about the hype of the defense now, and he pointed to 2017 when right before the season they got Sheldon Richardson on cutdown weekend from the Jets, and everyone freaked out and said, oh, this is going to be the best defense ever. Um, they have all the pro bowlers and all pros, and it just didn't work. They went 9-7 and seven and missed the playoffs. That leadership from Wagner, who's seen it all, he was around in the Legion of Boom time. If they want to try to get back to that, will be crucial as he can step back and caution all these guys saying, like, look, we have the talent, but there's a lot more to it than just that. Um, talent alone will not get this Seahawks team to the playoffs. They have a lot of holes. They're going to need to come together as a unit, which is something that they once were known for, but has definitely fallen off in the last couple of years. We will get into all the big NFL matchups now. Coming up right on the other side of this break, you're listening to The Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. And welcome back to The Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. You can listen locally on 89.1 FM or anywhere on WXVU.weebly.com or the TuneIn app by searching WXVU. You can also listen to any of the podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Those will be up at the latest by Friday afternoon. We are getting into the NFL as it starts in just about 10 hours and 4 minutes. Not about, that is exact. And it is the Green Bay Packers going into Soldier Field to take on the Chicago Bears. This will be a very interesting game. It is taking off the 100th season of the NFL um, it is not the reigning Super Bowl champions, but it is probably the best rivalry in football with the Bears and the Packers. Both are incredibly competitive right now. The 199th time these two teams have met in the NFL. They opened up last season again with a big Sunday night football game. And the 
Packers entered this game with just a 95, 97, 95, and 6 advantage in the all-time series. The biggest question for me is Aaron Rodgers and this new Green Bay offense in his first game under Matt LaFleur. It'll be the first time that Aaron Rodgers will suit up a game for the Green Bay Packers without Mike McCarthy as his signal caller. How will this go? Um, both Rodgers and LaFleur spoke to Michael Silver of NFL.com this summer. They both expressed that there was a little bit of an issue with Rodgers being able and his freedom to audible on the play calls from LaFleur. Obviously, this story got a lot of press, even if LaFleur did not want it to. But can we really say it's been resolved? Because we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers play yet this fall, even though he was supposed to play in both the second and the third preseason games until he was held out for precautionary reasons. Um, take that for whatever you want. It could be precautionary or it could be, look, we uh, you know, just don't get along at all and risk playing for you if it starts the preseason. Could this be the start of a tough relationship between LaFleur and Rodgers? I mean, it hasn't started off on the right foot, but what's going to happen that first time that Rodgers wants to audible LaFleur and LaFleur doesn't want it? We'll certainly see. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, his ego is certainly something that has never been downplayed. Um, it is certainly a factor there, and we'll see with a just a 39-year-old head coach only four years older than Rodgers, how much Rodgers respects him and what he is willing to do in order to do what he thinks will give his team the best chance to win. There's also been coaching turnover on the Bears' defensive side. That Bears' defense was the top-scoring defense in the league last year. They only lost one defensive starter, and that was Adrian Amos. He went to Green Bay, actually. But he was replaced by former Green Bay starter at safety, HaHa Clinton Dix. So again, they lose one guy. They bring in a very capable replacement. Um, but they also lost Vic Fangio, who was their defensive coordinator. He's been replaced by Chuck Pagano. Um, this will probably cause an, their turnover ratio to go down a little bit. Pagano probably won't put as much pressure on at least with the Blitz. He knows he's got his front seven of Akeem Hicks, Roquan Smith, and of course, you cannot forget about Khalil Mack after he was brought in from the Raiders last year. Um, he's pressured the quarterback 162 times for his 12 turnovers in the past three seasons. Um, remember just last year, during the first half of that Sunday night game, his first game with the Bears, he had a strip sack and a forced fumble in his just one half of play. Um, he should play the whole game, though. Last year, you know, he's coming off that holdout. He was on a bit of a minutes restriction. That should not be the case anymore. Um, Khalil Mack is good to go, barring any injuries. So we will see him tonight. This game, again, will be very interesting because it will be a preview of which Mitch Trubisky we are going to get this year. Will he take another step into being a truly elite quarterback in this league, or will he continue to be, you know, good enough, but maybe not an absolute stalwart like we were expecting him to be. Um, he's got a new running back now. Jordan Howard was traded to Philadelphia near the draft. Um, so it will be rookie David Montgomery instead, third-round pick out of Iowa State. Um the hype and the expectations are off the charts for him. But he played only once in the preseason, touching the ball just six times. We'll see how he does along with Tariq Cohen, which will help him a lot. Uh, as he is one of the best third down backs and can take a lot of the carries as well. We'll see, again, if he's the real deal, whether they will miss Jordan Howard or not. I don't think so. I've never been a huge Jordan Howard guy. He's good. But I think he's definitely replaceable. And a rookie like Montgomery, I think, is the prime guy to replace him as he can learn from Tariq Cohen while Cohen is still playing at a high level 
and eventually slide in and be part of this young Bears core that should keep them competitive for a long time. We have to go back, if we're talking about the Bears and how they're going to respond this season, you can't go without talking about the double doink. Uh, in the last second play, with the Eagles in the wild card round, the kickers just blew it completely for the Bears. Uh, Cody Parkey was cut, and there was a big kicking competition. We'll see. I mean, I don't believe there has been a true winner yet. Um, I mean, Eddie Pinero is the kicker right now, but can he even kick in the regular season is something we'll find out. And also, can he be good quick enough that the Bears fans will give him a chance? Because if the Bears fans come in and see that they have another kicker who's going to just be constantly missing kicks, they're going to give up on him real soon. So it'll be very interesting to see if he can handle the pressure because there's a lot more pressure on him than any other kicker right now on in week one as, you know, the kicking position ended the Bears season last year. You need to give Bears fans faith that it will be better this year. We'll see if it is. Um, but again, Eddie Pinero doesn't necessarily inspire confidence. Um, he was one of three kickers in the Bears camp this summer. But again... Who knows, after he was, again, missing extra points in the preseason, if you're not making your kicks in the preseason, it's very tough to get behind someone to think that they are going to be successful in the regular season. All right, next, we are going to get into some other big matchups in the NFL this week. Again, that is the Packers and Bears there tonight at 8.20 on NBC. However, they uh, branded as a Sunday night football NFL kickoff, but Sunday night football not on a Sunday. It makes no sense. But either way, we'll get into the rest of the matchups, or at least the good ones, coming up right after this. You're listening to the Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. And welcome back to the Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. You can listen locally on 89.1 FM or anywhere on the TuneIn app or at wxvu.weebly.com. It is now just about the bottom of the hour, which means it is time for an update from the WXVU Sports Headlines. We'll start in the NFL, where tonight we have the Packers taking on the Bears, 820 at Soldier Field in Chicago. We just broke that game all down. If you missed any part of the show, like that NFL segment, you can catch it on our podcast on Spotify or Google Podcasts. Also, this weekend, we have the Chiefs visiting the Jaguars, the Falcons at the Vikings, the Titans at the Browns. The Bills will be at MetLife to take on the Jets. The Ravens will be in Miami for the Dolphins. The Redskins will be at the link to take on the Eagles. The Rams will be in Carolina to take on the Panthers. It will be the Colts in L.A. to face the Chargers. The Bengals will be at CenturyLink to face the Seahawks. It'll be the Giants at the Cowboys, the 49ers at the Bucks. The Lions will be out in the desert to face the Cardinals. The Steelers will play the Patriots at Foxborough on Sunday night for the sixth banner raising. And it'll be on two Monday night games this week. The Texans will be at the Superdome to take on the Saints in the early game. And the later game will be the Broncos to, out in Oakland to take on the Raiders. Those are your WXVU sports headlines. We'll get you your next update coming up at 10, excuse me, at 11 Eastern. All right, we have a few more NFL matchups that I want to touch on tonight. Um... The first is just the fact that we have two Monday Night Football games on Monday night. Uh, this is something that they do week one every year, but it should be something that they do every week. Um, people have said, you know, let's both coasts watch an entire game. Uh, you can watch two games on Monday night. What's better than that? Um, it gives the fans an opportunity to really get back into football on Monday night. Again, 
The issue with Monday Night Football is how late it starts on the East Coast. Uh, the game's going to midnight every Monday. A lot of people can't swing that. But if you have a game starting at 7 o'clock and then another one for the late crowd on the West Coast, kind of is a win-win for everyone. Something that the NFL should consider uh, continuing. If you want to drop Thursday Night Football, if that's been a thing, why not keep the primetime game to shift from both to Monday night? All right. Game I want to talk about, Cleveland, Tennessee. This may not be the most thrilling matchup of the weekend, but I think it'll be a very telling one to see what each of these teams has, you know, this week. We have the Cleveland Browns coming in with a new offense. They got Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham Jr. Um, coming in with Baker Mayfield to really be the three power plays on that offense. We have a Titans team that struggled last year, Marcus Mariota. He might be in a make-or-break year here to see whether he still has what it takes to be a franchise quarterback or if he is going to be the first-round bust. Uh, I think we'll see also whether Baker Mayfield can take that next step. He had a great rookie year last year but we'll see how he can continue now that he has expectations last year he kind of came in as just another guy who the Browns were hoping would work out but honestly if he didn't work out he would have just been the next Browns quarterback and that would have been that now he is expected to come in and carry this team to the playoffs let's be real it is a playoff year for the Browns. They're expected to be there. They're not in an overly strong AFC North. The Ravens, again, who knows with them. Their offense just is so easy to figure out that it was kind of a little bit successful last year because it was brand new. But once you play that team twice, we saw what the LA Chargers were able to do with them. Once you play that team twice, you have totally figured out that offense. I do not really see the Ravens going anywhere this year. I mean, maybe they'll be a 7-8 win team, but that should not make the playoffs. We also have teams like the Steelers. Uh, they lost Antonio Brown. I know they didn't have Le'Veon Bell last year, but where are the playmakers there for Big Ben? He was considering retiring already. Um, so he... Had one foot out the door. Uh, we'll see if he can come back and put his differences with Mike Tomlin aside and really lead a team. But again, I wouldn't count on it. The Bengals are the Bengals. Andy Dalton's Andy Dalton. That is mediocrity at its finest. We'll see um, whether they can put together anything this year. I doubt it. Again, that leaves just the Browns. They have not... I was going to know that... The best quarterback in that division is still Ben Roethlisberger. Um, by far the worst is Lamar Jackson. I just need to put that out there with the Ravens. Everyone who thinks he's a good quarterback, sweet, he can run. That's the running back's job. And if you running back can throw, great, but theirs can't. So you need someone who can throw the ball down the field on that offense. Uh, that's why their team is going absolutely nowhere. Um, Big Ben's probably still the best quarterback in that division. But, you know... Baker Mayfield could be right up there in terms of the numbers he puts up. He has the best receiver in the division with Odell Beckham. And he has the best running back in the division with Kareem Hunt. So we'll see if they can all come together, put their egos aside. You know, that defense for the Browns is also pretty good. Miles Garrett on the edge with Denzel Ward, Darius Randall, uh, Sheldon Richardson's in there at tackle. Olivier Vernon, they have a lot of guys who are kind of misfits coming in from different places a lot of vets coming in with the young guys we'll see how that all fuses but if it comes together this could be a very scary defense you know the offense too you got Nick Chubb out there how will he split with Kareem Hunt again there's a lot of questions Jarvis Landry's not the guy anymore he always has been down when he's in Miami and up in Cleveland that is no longer the case as Odell Beckham will be the feature receiver in this offense but most guys, I think, should be able to realize that if Odell Beckham's on your team, you're not going to be the top 
wide receiver. There's just a lot of big personalities here on this Browns team. We'll have to see how they all fuse because until we actually see it on the field, who knows what we're going to get. All right, the other matchup I wanted to talk about is staying in that AFC North. We have the Patriots and the Steelers. There's a lot of questions here on the Patriots side. Like there always are, it will work itself out. Uh, Bill Belichick, again, always seems to figure these things out. But the offensive line is the biggest question for the Patriots. Something that really does not get enough credit for extending Tom Brady's career is how good his offensive line has been. Dante Scarnecchia left for a couple of years. The offensive line really suffered. The Patriots got him out of retirement and have had one of the best offensive lines in football the last few years. They lose uh, Trent Brown, who they brought in last year to play left tackle. He's now the highest-paid offensive lineman in the league by the Oakland Raiders. I think it's smart by the Patriots to let him walk because they have last year's first-round pick, Isaiah Wynn, waiting in the wings. Wynn is an undersized left tackle, though. He's just, I know, just 6'3". We'll have to see how that plays out. Also, the fact that he's never seen an NFL snap. He's coming off a ruptured Achilles. He's going to have to be the guy at left tackle. And you think, all right, Dante can work on one position and I'll be fine until he finds out that David Andrews now looks to be out for the season with blood clots in his lungs. Um, he has been around Foxborough, which is good news again. His intelligence will be very helpful on the sidelines, but he's a big hole at center. It looks like Ted Karras will slot in there after being like the backup guard last year. Or if things go south with Karras at center, maybe Joe Tooney will slide over from right guard. And we'll see Karras over at right guard in place of Tooney. But again, going left to right from left tackle to right tackle, looks like it'll be Isaiah Wynn, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras, Joe Tooney, and Marcus Cannon. Again, when the injuries happen, which they will come, look, let's be real, A, it's an offensive line, and B, Marcus Cannon is on it. The injuries will come. We'll have to see whether they have the depth after going out and making some deals to really hold up and keep Tom Brady safe, as well as Sony Michelle, who had a 1,000-yard year as a rookie. He's a very talented back. we got to look at, again, how much did this offensive line play. Uh, they also lose Rob Gronkowski on that offensive line. He's obviously known for being a down-the-field threat, but he was drafted to be a blocking tight end and was always a good blocking tight end, certainly well above average. They will miss him greatly on that offensive line, especially helping out on the right side when slash if Marcus Cannon gets injured because I'd give him four or five weeks max before he's out with another ankle injury. It seems that's the way things go. The last matchup I want to touch on is the Texans and the Saints. We'll have to see how this team comes back after, by this team, I mean the Saints, after their loss in the NFC Championship. They should be motivated. They're playing at home on Monday Night Football to start off the year. But they're going up against a good Texans team that's made some deals. Um, they brought in Kenny Stills this week from Miami as well as Tunstall for the offensive line, while shipping out Jadavian Clowney. This team's been a major team in turmoil. Rarely you see three starters change in the last week of the preseason, but that was the case in Houston. We'll see if they can put it all together tonight. And whether Deshaun Watson, again, we talked about how it's a break, make or break year for Mitch Trubisky. Deshaun Watson's in the same boat. He had a great rookie year, not as good since... We'll have to see really what he's made of tonight. He's got a very competent backup behind him, which I think will motivate him in A.J. McCarron. But he's got the weapons with Kenny Stills, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, you know, Lamar Jackson coming out of the backfield. And he's got a good defense that should keep him leads. Uh, Watt and Merciless and McKinney are all healthy. They look good to go. So this Texans team has the expectations. They could certainly be looking at themselves as a division winner, or at least contender. The, Texan, or the Texans, excuse me, the Titans are nothing to write home about. I don't think Mariota's really got it. Mike Vrabel's a very good coach, though, so you can watch out for them. The Colts minus Andrew Luck are not going to get to a division title. 
and Nick Foles will be hurt by week two. You heard that here first. By the end of week two, Nick Foles will probably be hurt. That's just the way it goes when he becomes a starting quarterback and gets paid. All right, we will. I do want to touch on the other team in that matchup, though, the New Orleans Saints. How will they look after getting absolutely screwed out of a Super Bowl? It looks like, you, again, you can never blame the refs on an entire game, but the refs did have a major impact on the NFC Championship game. We will see how they come out. They're in a very tough division this year with the Falcons and the Panthers all expected to be competitive. The Bucks, I don't know, maybe they got a chance, but Drew Brees is going to be leading that offense with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, uh, Taysom Hill, and Jared Cook. Add in Ted Ginn Jr. and Latavius Murray, and you got yourself a very good offense there. The defense has some more questions. They brought in Eli Apple and Malcolm Brown, who are both solid players on the defense, but they don't really have that huge defensive statement player outside of Marshawn Lattimore, who, again, is an injury risk as well. I think this game is going to be an offensive shootout. The Saints offense is good enough to crack that Titans defense, and the Saints defense is not going to stand in the way of anybody. But it look, I can would have a very hard time believing Drew Brees loses the game coming off of what he just went through in the NFC Championship game. They have certainly not forgot that. They won't forget that for a long time. And if they're smart, they'll use that as motivation to absolutely lay it down on the Houston Texans in front of their home crowd at the Superdome. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back talking some hockey on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. And welcome back to the Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio. You can listen locally on 89.1 FM or anywhere on wxvu.weebly.com. Talking some NHL, we've talked a lot about restricted free agency last week, and nothing has really changed since then at least in the guys who are current RFAs. One guy will be an RFA next year, would have been an RFA next year, that is Clayton Keller. He signed an eight-year deal at $7.15 million a year to stay in Arizona until 2028. That brings us to Arizona, a very interesting team that had a very interesting offseason. want to touch on them and whether they can actually be competitive in this Western Conference. We have them with a very solid top line after they made a big trade this summer. They gave up on Alex Galchenyuk, just like the Montreal Canadiens did. So they traded Galchenyuk and Pierre-Olivier Joseph to the Pittsburgh Penguins in exchange for Phil Kessel, Dane Burks, and a fourth-round pick. We talked about how Dave Tippett, the coach of the Coyotes, had a relationship with Kessel going back to his days in Pittsburgh and how there was some mutual interest in Kessel as Kessel did have full control over this trade. They also made some moves requiring some center depth, bringing in Carl Soderberg from the Colorado Avalanche um, for a third-round pick and a young player. But are they still really competitive? I don't really know. Clayton Keller's going to need to take a big step up from his 47 points last year. Um, he's going to be the new face of the franchise. Look, he's under contract for the next nine seasons. Um there are going to be a lot of people counting on him to really be that guy. Derek Stefan right now is slated to be the top line center. He was last year, but he will have Phil Kessel now to play alongside with him. Phil Kessel put up 82 points in 82 games last year. He's going to have to be just as good, if not better, if this team wants to have a sniff of the playoffs. It's just they need the goal scoring. Um, right, like Last year, they only got 40 games in the next small 47 out of Connor Garland, 41 out of Mitchell Grabner. Those three are all slated to be the second line next year. They're going to need 70, 80 games out of all of them to double that production in order to get to where they need to be. Carl Soderberg coming in. He is a very good third-line center. It wouldn't shock me if he eventually gets bumped up to playing second-line left wing with Grabner and Smaltz. And if Garland gets pushed back down, the issue is then who does play third-line center would probably be Brad Richardson, who scored 19 goals last year on the third line. He's now looking at being a fourth-line center now. Uh, that's 19 goals a lot for the fourth line. That fourth line combined last year put up 42 goals. Um, Christian Dvorak really is going to need to have a big year. He's on that six-year $26.7 million contract. 
that he signed in 2018. So far, the results have not been great for that last season. Again, he just played 20 games, put up two goals, five assists, seven points. Played all 78, though, in 2017-18 and put up 15 goals. He put up that same 15 goals in 2016-2017. He, again, is going to need to have a big year so he can move up the depth chart a little bit. They have a lot of guys who have the skill and the talent but just haven't put it together yet. They're going to need all that to come together. The defense, on the other hand, is very strong. Um, Oliver ekman Larson put up 14 goals and 44 points last year. He's a the shutdown guy. He's under contract for the next eight years. It's his uh, eight-year contract at $8.25 million a year. Kicks in this year. He'll be leader on that defense along with Nichols Jarmelson, who's recently signed a two-year deal to re-up in... Arizona, he again brings the experience. Him and Phil Kessel are the Stanley Cup champions on this roster. Um, they need that experience with all these young guys. The second and third pairs also are decent. Um, there's a lot of older guys. They need. To, I would be scared about this team getting old quickly. You can have an old team if you've been successful, but if you haven't been, and you kind of have a bunch of old guys who haven't really done anything yet. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what happens here in Arizona. They've been so bad for so long. The question is, can they finally get it back on track? Phil Kessel, they bring him in. He is an, a star in this league. Everyone knows his name. The pressure will be on him. He's never really been the offensive leader. Other than a little bit, I guess, in Toronto, you could say, but that was more Jeffrey Lupul's team at the time. Um, he's going to have to be the leader of this team in the desert, and we'll really see whether they can make it all the way to the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. Another team that needs to be touched on is the team that made the biggest trade of the offseason. That would, without a doubt, be the New Jersey Devils. On June 22nd, they traded Steven Santini, Jeremy Davies, and two second-round picks for P.K. Subban. Subban, again, he brings that star that the Devils need on defense. They are looking at a very good team this year, but a very good team with a ton of question marks. Um, that first line, can Nico Heischer take the next step? He put up 17 goals in 69 games last year. That's a pretty nice year. Um but he needs to go the extra step. Taylor Hall was injured a lot last year. We'll see if he comes back healthy. And Kyle Palmieri needs to keep up his current production. That is the big top line for New Jersey. And you don't really know what you're getting from any of them. With the exception of Hall, but he's coming off a big injury. You have a big second line, too, in theory. Nikita Gusev did not play last year with the Vegas Golden Knights. He's 27 years old, but he was brought in for a second and third round pick. Again, he could be an absolute star for the Devils. They need him to be. He's playing with Jack Hughes, who again has also never touched the ice at the NHL level. And Wayne Simmons, who had a disappointing year last year, especially after he was traded to Nashville. This is a great signing for the Predators, Wayne Simmons. He's a veteran. He's been everywhere in the playoffs. He's seen it all. And... He's a guy who last year I kept talking about will not age well. Well, they got him on a one-year deal, so he can he's going to try to go out and prove himself that he deserves a big contract in free agency. Getting a guy like this who's coming off a bad year on a one-year deal, great move for New Jersey. Um, that's a solid top six. All those guys are top six forwards, and that doesn't even include guys like Miles Wood, who are looking to take another step next year, and Travis Zajac, Blake Coleman put up 20 goals last year too. I don't believe that's sustainable. But we'll see. That defense now also looks strong. Uh, Steven Santini was one of their big defensive prospects. He's going to be a fine defensive player in this league. But now they can roll out a top pair of P.K. Subban and Sammy Votnin. Votnin scares me a little bit on the left side. Um, he's not the biggest guy. He's 5'10", 185. He can move the puck really well, but how will he do on an offside on the boards, that's just something you always worry about when you see a right shot playing on the left side. 
especially on a top pair. I wouldn't be surprised if Will Butcher, if he can prove that he can get up there and play that top pair with Subban. Right now, he's set to be playing with Damian Severson. They'll probably be playing with long-term. But Will Butcher's on a new contract. Maybe he can make that top pair with Subban. Um, they also got a great third pair, too. Andy Green makes a little too much money, maybe $5 million for a 36-year-old, but he's only had a contract for one more year, and last year he had a great year. He played over 20 minutes a night um, and played every single game. He was a minus player, but as was most of New Jersey last year, he actually had the lowest plus-minus of anyone on the New Jersey defense coming back this year. So, again, he should work out just fine on that third pair, and Connor Carrick, again, He's not the best, obviously, but he gets the job done on the third pair. So, Michael Mueller is also there to step in when needed. Uh, so, they have depth, certainly New Jersey. New Jersey, the more I look at this team, the more I think, wow, they could be an absolute train wreck if things go south, if he sure takes a step back, if Gusev and Hughes aren't ready, if Simmons can't up his game. But if everything goes to plan for this New Jersey team, they could be a serious, serious competitor in this Metropolitan Division. Another team in the Metropolitan Division that Bears looking at is a team in major rebuild, but maybe not. Um, the New York Rangers, they made the biggest signing of the offseason. Seven-year deal at $11.6 million a year to Artemi Panarin. He's an over-a-point-per-game player, um, 27 years old. He will be the new face of this franchise, playing with Mika Zibanejad and Capo Caco. I've never really believed in Zibanejad as a top-line center, and he probably isn't on a Stanley Cup contending team. But at the same time, he is very serviceable. Um, 30 goals last year was a big breakout for him, but he's also a big-time minus player. That's going to need to change if he's going to be that top-line center in the New York Rangers, Capo Caco looks like the real deal, but again, he's a rookie. We'll see what he can bring. But after that, it drops off quick. Chris Kreider, again, we can guess what we're getting from him. No one else really, though, is proven at the NHL level outside of Pavel Buznevich. Um, and I guess you could maybe argue for Ryan Strom or Vlad Slavnovestikov. But again, none of those guys are going to really do anything crazy for this team. They are going to be a real top-heavy team. I wouldn't mind seeing them be sellers at the deadline again this year. It looks like Kreider will be flipped at the deadline. Maybe we'll see if they can offload Mark Stahl, even though that contract is absolutely terrible. Um, never rule out Henrik Lundqvist as much as he says he wants to stick around. If he sees this team at the bottom of the Metropolitan Division, he may not want to be here for long. The defense isn't bad. Brady Shea and Jacob Truba. Truba's a big um, addition for them this year. He's a big guy. He's 6'3", just like Shea. They were looking to be that top pair in New York for a long, long time. Truba, maybe you could argue, is overpaid, making $8 million a year. But again, they need that next defensive core to come in and replace the Mark Stalls, the Dan Girardis, who I know they bought out, um, and the Brendan Smiths, who's now looks like he's going to be finding a spot in the press box. For most of this year. All right, we will take a quick, quick break and we'll be right back for just a little bit more time here on the morning report on 891 WXVU Villanova Radio. And welcome back to the morning report on 891 WXVU Villanova Radio. You can interact with the show on Twitter at PatrickWXVU or you can listen to the podcast versions if you missed any of this show on Spotify or Google Podcasts. We have about five minutes left of this show today. We're going to get into Major League Baseball. Season is winding down real quick. For example, the New York Yankees, you know, they're in first place in the American League. They have just 21 games left. Again, they set two games, or one and a half games, excuse me, above the Astros for that best team in the American League East, meaning they, in the American League, meaning they would get the wild card team right now. The first wild card spot is currently being held by just a half game by the Tampa Bay Rays. That puts the Cleveland Indians in the second wild card spot at 81 and 59. One game behind them is the Oakland Athletics at 80 and 58. The Boston Red Sox then are six games back at 
75 and 64. It'll actually, no, that is just five and a half, excuse me. 75 and 64, five and a half games back. That is math on the fly, not going so well. It looks like a three horse race right now for the wild card. I would be worried if I was any team going into Tampa Bay to play a wild card game. They can roll out some serious pitching. Uh, Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, whoever's healthy at the time, because with either of them, you have no idea. That's not saying that the Indians can't, though, with Corey Kluber as well. Both those teams are lining up to go into the Bronx for that first-round series. It could not be easy, but both teams could have a chance uh, to light up that Yankees pitching staff, which is nothing to write home about. Then you have the Astros and the Twins looking at a good first-round matchup that the Astros should sweep handily. We'll look at the National League wildcard now. Um, a lot less competitive in terms of the records of the teams involved. Right now, the best team in the National League is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They're 92 and 50. The Braves are leading the NL East at 86 and 54. And at 78 and 61, the Cardinals are in the NL Central. Better team than that, leader of the first wildcard spot, is the Washington Nationals. They sit at 78 and 60. At 75 and 63 then is the Chicago Cubs holding on to that second wild card spot. Behind them you have uh three games back the Arizona Diamondbacks and at 73 and 69 and you have the Milwaukee Brewers at 71 and 67. The Philadelphia Phillies at 72 and 66 and the Mets at 71 and 68. They could be a little far back but who knows again this is much more competitive race in terms of the number of teams involved, but none of these teams have the records of the teams in the American League. Again, the leader of the American League wildcard has significantly more wins, that being Tampa Bay with 82 compared to 78 for the Washington Nationals. Those four games are a big four games at this point. Uh, it looks like the Nationals will hold on with their pitching staff and if one of these teams, being the Mets, the Phillies, or the Brewers, is going to make a run, throw the Diamondbacks in there too, I'd have to put my money on the Milwaukee Brewers with that offense. We'll see if Kristen Yelich can carry them to the playoffs. Uh, it will be very interesting. We'll keep you updated on all the AL wildcard and NL wildcard races as we get closer to the MLB playoffs in October but right now, unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you for listening again. You can check out the podcast if you missed anything in today's show. I just enjoyed it so much that you'd like to listen again. That will be up on Spotify and Google Podcasts soon. You can always listen to us on 89.1 FM, WXVU Villanova Radio, or on WXVU.Weebly.com, as well as the TuneIn app by searching WXVU. Any updates on the show, again, will come from... The Twitter at Patrick WXVU. We still do not have an official time for the semester, so we're going to roll with this one. When that official time comes out, which will most likely be 10 a.m. Eastern on Thursdays, we will let you know on the Twitter as well as over the air. All right, I'll be back next Thursday. We'll have guests over the phone and potentially in studio as well. Thank you for listening. This has been the Morning Report on 89.1 WXVU Villanova Radio.